The views expressed on this show are not necessarily those of KUCI, its management, the California Board of Regents, or essential workers everywhere. Good morning, I'm your host, Claudia Shamba, welcoming you to the July 14th, 2020 edition of Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. Today, for the full hour, we're hearing from organizers with UCI for COLA, doctoral students Nalia Rodriguez and Courtney Eccles. They've got a lot of movements and issues on their plate. We'll begin right away. My guests are Courtney Eccles and Nalia Rodriguez. Both are organizers with UCI for COLA. Nalia Rodriguez is a sociology doctoral student at UC Irvine. During their undergraduate studies at UC Berkeley, Nalia organized within the Central American community around issues of incarceration and immigration. As a former gang member, activist, and researcher, Nalia has advocated for an abolition of the police state and an investment in youth development and enrichment programs. They worked in secondary education programs for currently incarcerated students and students in at-promise communities. Currently, their research focuses on race, colorism, policing, and gang violence in the U.S. and El Salvador. Courtney Eccles, my other guest for this full hour, is a first-generation college student, community organizer with Stop LAPD Spying Coalition. Courtney is also in the joint JD-PhD program at UC Irvine. Her PhD will be in criminology, law, and society. She completed a master's degree in social ecology from UC Irvine, where she has received her bachelor's of arts and she had a triple major in the fields of criminology, law and society, psychology and social behavior and social ecology. Her research centers on documenting historical anti-black violence in the US and intervening in its legacies. Courtney comes to us today from Irvine and Nalia comes to us today from Long Beach. Welcome to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor, Courtney and Nalia. Thank you so much. Thank you for having us, Claudia. Yes, thank you. Well, first, let's just start with how are you two doing? Courtney? Uh, I am okay, um, relatively speaking. Um, thank you for asking. And Nalia, how are you doing? My birthday is actually coming up soon, and so I've kind of just been slowly prepping myself for more food to eat at my parents' house, and I'm excited for that. Okay, okay, good. Well, you're representing and coalescing with students who are experiencing the cascading effects of COVID only in its early stages. So we're seeing displacement from campus, job losses, continued rent obligations, which I've covered a little bit several months ago on the show. Talk about what you're doing with UCI for COLA. What's the charter, the history? Okay, sure. So as I'm sure we all know by now, UC Santa Cruz, graduate students and um, supporters, back in fall of last year, demonstrated their collective power, demanding that the university pay them a cost of living adjustment that would bring them out of rent burden. And again, since the fall, they launched a wildcat strike until their demands were met. And then in February, they voted uh, to escalate to a full teaching strike. And, and these strikers have received support really from faculty, students, and staff all across the country and, and, and all across the globe, really. But even still, the, the UC system has continued to escalate matters, even resorting to police violence, threats of deportation. And then at the end of February, over 80 UC Santa Cruz students were fired. And that makes up about 10% of the total teaching assistant population at UC Santa Cruz. I mean, even just as recently as, as this week, um, student conduct charges are continuing to be issued. Letters of termination are continuing to be issued. 
And so at this point, all UC campuses have launched their own uh, campaign for a cost of living adjustment or a COLA. And then here at Irvine, we obviously are not only in solidarity with our comrades all across the UC, but we too, right, share in the experience of being burdened by rent and unfair wages due to exploitative landlords and employers like the UC system, right? And in fact, we know that here in Irvine, at UC Irvine, I'm sorry, the average graduate student spends 43% of their income on housing, um, with many students reporting as spending as much as 91% of their income on rent. And that's just within campus housing, right? Here in the city of Irvine, the median rent for a one-bedroom apartment is over $2,000. And at least for me, that exceeds the, the year-round cost of rent to live in the city of Irvine actually exceeds my entire annual income. And, and of course, as we know, as, as folks have been saying across the UC system, according to federal housing guidelines, individuals who pay more than 30% of their income toward rent are considered rent burden. And we know, again, that here at UCI, the housing costs for students have consistently exceeded that federal standard of burden for at least the past six years. Six. Wow. An entire for, graduate career. Right, right. For at least the past six years that we're aware of, yes. But, but I think it's also important to point out, at least for us here at UCI, UCI for COLA, while a COLA stands for the amount of funds needed to meet that deficit that would take us out of rent burden without raising um, tuition or campus fees, our movement exists, though, not only to fight for economic security, but for us, again, here at UCI for COLA, our fight for a COLA is also a fight for better health care, for quality education. And we've said from day one that we really see this as a fight against anti-Blackness and against capitalism, which are, uh, of course, inextricably um, intertwined with each other, but it's really what produces these conditions, right, of inadequate housing and unjust wages and a for-profit educational system. So just to sort of flesh out the demographic aspect, Mainly graduate students are organizing in UCI for COLA, but you do have undergraduate participants, contributors? That's correct, right. Well, I would even go broader to say that we identify as a coalition of UCI-affiliated individuals. Some of us are graduate students. There's undergraduates. We also have faculty who assist with our mutual aid campaign. UCI workers. I mean, again, the, the fight, right, for free and just university is the same no matter what degree or, or we're pursuing. And again, we all of our struggles are inextricably linked. This is not just a fight for just wages, but it's also a fight against the capitalistic systems that, that create these conditions, which impacts all of us, UCI, everywhere, but, but here in particular, UCI. And so again, we, we identify as a coalition of UCI-affiliated individuals. And is there any coalescing with any of the other organized units on campus? There's the service employees and the other employees. Is there any kind of coalescing in that way? Nalia, would you like to answer? Yeah, so we've received support from some of the other unions on campus. Most of our work is really done through our campaigns, uh, not necessarily organized in collaboration with any of the other unions on campus, although many of our members are affiliated with other unions on yes. campus. So in, in that sense, I mean, no, um, right, but we do organize with folks from various groups on campus and off campus as well. Yes. Excuse Courtney me. here. Yeah, just yes. to piggyback off of that, I would also say that a lot of our coalescing with other organizations really situated within the community and not necessarily specific to um, UCI. Um, but we do work in collaboration with a number of organizations located. Some of them are UCI specific. Others are located within Irvine and others are located within Orange County more broadly ranging from the People's Coalition to, again, there's uh, several organizations that I, I, maybe, I should, maybe, maybe it's best I don't actually name names, and we are very much in solidarity with them as well, and we're very grateful to work alongside and with those folks. Um, but I do want to go back to the history of UCI yes. to speak to, really quickly, um, the launch of our campaign. So on Thursday, February 20th, UC Irvine students launched their own COLA campaign. Um, on this day, there was over 200 um, students and supporters who marched and rallied yes. um, with UC Santa Cruz strikers. 
to call for cops off campus and to also bring attention to um, the high cost of living here in Irvine, where again, many of us are living paycheck to paycheck. And in response to such, the chancellor's office not only refused to meet with students, but they locked down the administration building for 48 hours. And then they created a hostile environment with heightened police presence. UCI police, they used force on several students, um, even assaulting and then arresting a black woman who was unaffiliated with the action, who again was merely attempting to retrieve a copy of their transcript. And what we know to be true, right, is that this individual's arrest is indicative of the anti-blackness that pervades not just UC Irvine and the UC system, but quite frankly, as we all know, America as a whole. And so we at UCI for COLA, we unequivocally support the demands of UCI's Black Student Union and United Students Against Sweatshops in response to this incident, including the removal of all cops from campus um, in the immediate firing of Officer Trish Harding and the release of her body cam footage from that day. So what is the status with this woman that was arrested at that time in February? Because I'm not up to date on that. I'm, I'm sure everybody would like to know what has become of that charge. Now, do you want to say anything about that? So there's kind of been two different things. One is the lies that the administration is trying to create in order to confuse people about what has happened. And then there's what we know of from people close to the uh, alumni who was arrested. And so what we see happening is that official charges have not been followed through by UCI, but part of the reason why the BSU is calling for the release of the body cam footage is That's the Black Student Union, just to be clear. Yes, right? the Black okay. Student uh-huh. Union at UCI um, is calling for the release of the body cam footage because there's still the possibility of the police filing charges against the individual, regardless of whether or not campus follows suit. Now, well, they learned that from a, a case earlier with the, what was it, the Irvine 11, that the district attorney made the move that it charged those Arab Americans and the, the chancellor's office had a role in negotiating terms with the district attorney. And that didn't, uh, that didn't go well for 11 people that have that on their records for the rest of their lives. So there's precedent for the concern that the Black Student Union has in how this is going to go. Yeah, and not only that, it's like we're also seeing that in these student conduct charges that are being put through at UCSC, and and Courtney can talk a little bit about her experience as well with the student conduct charges here at UCI, but we're seeing that police officers, the police departments at these schools are the ones that are also filing student conduct charges against student organizers, student protesters, students uh, engaging in different political activities, free speech activities, right? Um, And so this is really important for us to, to talk about because as we're moving on a larger scale to push cops off campus, it's important to, to know how, how we're being policed, right? Mm-hmm. And is this a concern that it's an intimidation tactic? Is that a sort of a like an, an overarching kind of a, a strategy there? This is Courtney. I would certainly say so. I would say that it's not just that, but that is definitely a component, right? But there, an attempt to suppress free speech, right, by sort of cultivating this climate of fear and intimidation. The, the student conduct board, right, should not be available for cops to utilize at their discretion in retaliation against students. Right, as Nalia was saying, um, it was recently revealed that the student conduct charges filed against students, uh, the majority of these conduct charges were reported to the board by UCPD. And police have been, have been targeting students of color and folks that they perceive as leaders for these disciplinary actions. And again, the student conduct board should not be, at the, be available to cops to use at their discretion, right? All forms of policing on UC campuses must be ended from cops use of the conduct board, again, to cops themselves, and then also to the student conduct board itself. And I just want to mention, since this had happened several months ago, within the last three weeks, there was the neuroscience researcher that went to Natural Sciences 2 building 
She went on an errand. She's a woman of color. Her husband, a man of color, remained in the car and was profiled. And it wasn't just profiled, but sort of like an eerie, not very clear what was this, what was going down kind of thing. So there's the, this idea that profiling, no matter how self-conscious law enforcement might be, post May 25th, 2020, post lots of dates way before May 5th, 2020, what the, the kind of steep slope going on in maintaining the right community interplay here with law enforcement around the UC system campuses, mainly right now, UC Irvine of concern. Yeah, now did you wanna speak? Did you, I, I don't know if, I, I mean, I, I'm just acknowledging that there's, it's not, we're not drawing on old examples things. We have ongoing things that are really, <laughs> that are tripping us all the way up in, Right. The, in the interaction of that. There, and there were also neighbors that they didn't like the sound of what was banging on 4th of July. And no, they didn't, call, they didn't go to the car outside their house. They went to the law enforcement. So it's- Yeah, I mean, I, as a student that was living in on-campus housing, I had the police called on me for no reason, for literally existing in my, <laughs> in my apartment. And so what does it mean when police can be called on students doing absolutely nothing, have their apartment searched, have nothing come of it other than the intimidation and the triggering of my PTSD from years of uh, police violence. And I, I, I wanna give both of you a chance. In the introduction, I mentioned a fair amount I mean, it's a glancing look at all of the activism between you two. And so I'd like to give you an opportunity to talk about what you've done all these years going into this graduate school career here at UC Irvine, what that activism has meant for you too to step up and see that there was a need to deal with what was going on in campus and the need to invite, engage other people that needed a, a, a little bit of a shove maybe in, in seeing the stake they have in this and other things. So talk about your, your backgrounds and how they contribute to where you were able to get to where you are now. Now you go ahead. Um, all right. Yeah, so I think one of the greatest advantages of my um, previous experiences organizing was just the community building that was generated from the years of organizing. I went, I did my undergraduate at UC Berkeley. I'm from Southern California. So really coming down uh, at Irvine, I never really, I really didn't know what student activism was like on campus. Um, I've been involved in other student organizing at UCI since I started and it was honestly really shocking for me to see the differences. I mean, I'm coming from Berkeley to Irvine, two very, very different UC campuses. I, I think we've heard of culture shock. This is yeah. a, this is a, a refrain. We're, we're used to this now. We, we can take it standing up, sitting down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was, it was really shocking to see how uh, complacent students were at UC Irvine and it was something I wasn't I wasn't used to because the people I had surrounded myself with were in undergraduate career was just like very um, I don't know like go getters like they were willing to put their bodies on the line um, against injustices and so for me when I saw the first call for um, folks to get involved in uh, organizing in solidarity with the Wildcat strikers. With the, at the at UC, UC Santa Cruz UC. campus. Yeah, when I saw the call for, for help to do that at UCI, I was like, man, like my friends are at Santa Cruz. Like people I went to undergrad with are at Santa Cruz striking. Like these are people that I like hung out with, ate breakfast with, ate dinner with, hung out with their children, you know, friends at Santa Barbara, at Riverside like all over the UC that I have that are doctoral students and undergraduate students. So it, it just, 
seeing the call, seeing that someone was putting it out there at Irvine was um, for me kind of just like, I have to do this. I have to get involved because this is an injustice and we need to be talking about it at Irvine. That's Nalia. That's what she's bringing or her activism. She's contributing here at campus. What about you, Courtney? Yes, as you had briefly mentioned, um, I am also an organizer with the um, Stop LAPD Spying Coalition, um, which is an abolitionist organization fighting a, a, against police and police surveillance in all its forms. But most importantly, um, the focus of our work is on building community and, and empowering community. And I have been with the coalition since 2016, the, the beginning of 2016. But I, prior to that, I was also doing organizing work in, in support of Black Lives Matter. I think for me, the important point here is that one of the main driving forces behind my um, involvement is that I firmly believe that white people have a duty and obligation to fight for justice, particularly given that we only got to where we are today because our ancestors right, committed genocide against Native people and then built their wealth on the backs of Black people. And so again, I firmly believe that we have a duty and an obligation to be in this fight for justice while also ensuring that we are centering the experiences of the most marginalized, the experiences of, of Black folks and listening to Black people and following um, their lead. And so, so that's sort of how I came into where we are now. <laughs> and so like what well, Nalia was saying when she heard about the, the wildcat strike coming out of UC Santa Cruz, she thought, okay, here's, here's my moment behind the orange curtain. That's, I put words in her mouth, don't mean to. And, and you then, Courtney, you saw that moment and you thought, okay, this is yeah, well, I, well, I, well, I'll just say, though, um, yes. that, that UC Santa Cruz folks had put out a call to action for other campuses to get involved. Other campuses were getting involved, not UCI. And okay. they, folks started calling out, Irvine in particular, asking, where are we in this fight? And so, so it was from there that, that UCI for COLA um, launched. It was in response to a call from action from the Wildcat Strikers. So those of you who've just joined us, my guests for the full hour are UCI graduate students Courtney Eccles and Nalia Rodriguez. Both are organizers with UCI for COLA, COLA for all, and that's the cost of living adjustment. And they're talking about movements they've been involved with prior to the students organizing in this portion of 2020. So you were talking about the response the administration gave on February 20th, that was then. They have a whole list of brand new kinds of considerations that are quite exotic to their usual administrative duties with this pandemic. I'd like to find out from both of you how you're dealing with the bandwidth that's been occupied more and more on the administration, their bandwidth by the pandemic, how you're able to keep their attention and hold them accountable in your negotiations. This is Nalia. Um, well, one way that we have really been successful in keeping administration accountable, and, and this is different aspects of UCI administration from housing to graduate division, is through email campaigns. Uh, these email campaigns that we've done with pre-populated emails calling out specific things that the administration is doing have been really successful. Courtney, do you wanna talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so for example, what we saw most recently, some of the issues uh, that around housing that have emerged recently include, for example, you know, UCI uh, raised rent. <laughs> yeah, let's talk about that. I, I had heard from some faculty, but I want to make sure all listeners know that institutional arrangement that that's a it was pretty hard to swallow. The so tell unpackage all of that. Lay out for us what has taken place with this is on campus housing. It's is it, it's both the all university owned and the partially owned by the university housing, all of it that's not Irvine company owned, but all and mainly the campus? 
Um, that's correct. But we should also talk about Irvine company-owned apartments. That's another sort of portion of our fight. Um, as well, let's stay with the campus yeah. right now. Um, so we got that so, covered, what just happened right. recently. Yes. Right. So, so um, when COVID-19 happened, we put forward another set of demands, um, including the suspension of rent. And so we've been mobilizing around that ever since. Um, and, and then most recently, um, within the last month, UCI increased rent for students living in on-campus housing. And we know they didn't have to, right? Other UCs did not. And that's not to say that, that we should be sort of praising other UCs. They, they, they have a host of issues themselves. But Irvine didn't have to do that, right? That was a choice that they made. But again, meanwhile, the rest of the country, <laughs> um, including other UCs, have foregone um, rent increases amid the pandemic. And then most recently, too, they trapped students into leases for the fall. So, for example, students in, in VDC Norte and, and other, other complexes as well were given less than 24 hours to sign their lease for the following year, the day before campus announced that fall learning would be remote. So then students subsequently tried to cancel their lease immediately after that announcement was made. And then UCI stated that these students are still expected to adhere to this lease agreement. We also know too, for example, mm -hmm. that UCI is threatening students who are unable to pay rent, threatening them with evictions, despite right the, the government's mandate and, and the judicial court ruling. And then all the while simultaneously ignoring hundreds of emails testifying to the conditions that have been further exacerbated by unemployment and underemployment as a result of the pandemic and the UC's response to such. Um, and then they've also offered unequal opportunities for students in different housing communities, right? Um, some, some housing communities were given options to break their leases. Others, um, as I just briefly mentioned, were not. Um, and then they, the time period allotted for students to be able to break those leases, um, um, there were discrepancies in that, uh, and there still are um, across various housing communities. I'm certain I'm missing things. Nalia, did you want to chime in? So, um, and are you, you're negotiating with the, the, the Vice Chancellor of Student Affairs, or is there, which entity on campus, so we know how this is working, or not, in, in some case? So, there hasn't been any formal working with any administrative um, official for UCI campus. Um, and so that's what I wanted to add um, to what Courtney was saying, mm -hmm. was that part of our email campaigns success is targeting multiple people on campus that are either specifically related to what we're targeting so such as emailing housing people in addition to people who have no official role in those matters so for example emailing housing officials with the chancellor with also the dean of graduate affairs with also like other admin um, on campus so that it's reaching a wide audience in hopes that someone will do something and it's worked and so we've worked oh, really? to a extent right for example with the housing on campus we haven't been able to get the campus one to stop imposing rent increases but two they should really just freeze rent for on-campus housing they haven't done that right but what we have seen them do is offer the ability for students to break their leases for more time, which wasn't being offered before to everyone equally. It's still not being offered equally to everyone to break their lease, but it's better than it was before. More people have the opportunity now. Hmm. One thing that I think is also important to recognize and for people to know is that we've been working also with targeting city council officials, right? City council right. members. And part of the issue that we're getting in terms of organizing for housing is that city council is saying, we don't have jurisdiction over campus properties. And then housing on campus is saying, well, we can't do anything because we're just housing. We're gonna be following the guidelines by the state, but actually they don't have to follow the guidelines by the state. And we the know UC that- The administration does not. I'm just making sure we got the day out. Okay. Yeah, the yeah. UC administration, UCI administration, housing specifically 
is saying that uh, they will follow California mandates. But we know that that's not true because we've been told that UC properties don't fall under that jurisdiction. So the people that can make these decisions about rent increases allegedly is only the UC regions. But we know that's not true because other campuses have already implemented these measures, housing measures, through their own housing offices on their respective campuses. So Courtney, you were saying about, you wanted to go back to a point that was posed. Uh, just a quick point I wanted to make is that, again, we really see our fight as a fight against anti-Blackness and a fight against capitalism. And we know that um, the UC is one of the largest capitalistic institutions in the in the state, but also um, but also within the U.S., right? And so our fight is not is really less about winning concessions from this university that that is fundamentally flawed, and more so about creating the world and the university that that we deserve and exposing UC Irvine and the UC system for the sham that it is. And so I just want to make that point clear. But um, but as Nadia had mentioned, we have been doing a lot of mobilizing around the city council. Yes, and within the last month, you posted a victory with getting an amount adjusted from $500 to $1,000 per person for some rental relief. It's a sum, I say, advisedly. Yeah, I, I don't know that we would call it a victory, um, but they did implement a rental assistance program after, um, I would say it's it's a step in the right direction, but it's uh, a victory might be, might not be the right word here. But we've been mobilizing around the city council meeting for a number of months, again, calling for the suspension of rent. And so they did not suspend rent. They had the option to, and they voted against it. And they also had the option to, to implement a moratorium on rent increases, on evictions, on lease break fees. And now we're talking about housing that's off campus. That's correct. Because we're talking about the city. So we're, we've moved to that real estate, folks. We'll get back to the UC Regents real estate in a bit. But for now, it's about what the city hall has jurisdiction with. Right, so just to be clear, a lot of our community does not live in on-campus housing, right? They live right. In, in apartments owned by the Irvine company, which the Irvine company has a sole owner, one person, Donald Bryn, who is a multi-billionaire with a B, and he has been charging students extortionate lease break fees while the university has simultaneously been pushing students off campus, off from around campus, encouraging folks to go back to, uh, assuming that they have a, another home to go back to, encouraging them to go there. Meanwhile, Donald Brand has been charging students, some students have received bills up to $15,000. That's where they are at, at, in July of 2020. It's now, the tabs run up to about $15,000 mm -hmm. per, per student. Mm -hmm. Right, to break their lease, to get out of their lease um, amid COVID-19. Um, and so that's what sort of led us to mobilizing around the city council space. And so, uh, but again, we were calling for and have been calling for, uh, still are calling for, the suspension of rent. And they have not suspended rent. What they did do was implement this rental assistance program. But there are a number of issues, right, with both in doing that, um, and then also with the things that they opted not to do in lieu of implementing this rental assistance program. So for example, again, um, they could have implemented a moratorium on rent increases, lease break fees, and evictions, and they decided they voted against it. They could have also suspended rent, and they voted against that. These, but the moratoriums, for example, let's talk about that for a second, because these moratoriums would not cost the city of Irvine one dime. But, but, but by not implementing such, right, we know that it has and it will continue to cost lives. And then again, a significant portion of Irvine renters that are students at UCI, but then also just Irvine renters in general, live in Irvine company-owned apartments. I um, mean, again, this is a billionaire, multi-billionaire, net worth of 17 billion in greed. Greed is literally the only reason he continues to charge rent and lease break fees amid the crisis. 
And so by not implementing these moratoriums, right, our, our city officials are making really immoral, racially discriminatory, and financially imprudent decisions, right, to explicitly protect the interests of landlords and banks despite the fact that housing advocates have proven through extensive research time and time and time again that preventing loss of shelter is far less expensive than the current course of actions that they are taking. But again, so what they did do is that they, they created a rental assistance program to provide a one-time $1,000 stipend to eligible applicants. And we absolutely have a number of concerns about this. I think perhaps most importantly, as Nalia um, had pointed out, mm -hmm. um, these funds are coming from the CARES Act and therefore it's unclear. Which is the federal relief package coming from the U.S. Congress. Mm -hmm. So it's unclear whether undocumented residents will be eligible to receive the assistance, right? And that is an absolute fundamental problem that the city must immediately rectify, especially because it was also revealed that the city is sitting on a $58 million rainy day fund. And if this doesn't constitute a rainy day, I don't know what does. They could use those funds, right? They could pull from them to ensure that our undocumented community also has access to these emergency funds, but they're choosing not to. So um, when, you, when you appeal to the city council, in your demands, and I, I guess I want to give you a chance just to like go through the whole bullet real fast, what the actual demands are. And I got critiqued for the last time we, we covered this, and some of my listeners wanted to hear those succinctly mentioned, so I'll give you that chance to do that. But when, they, when you ask for funds, the rainy day fund would seem to be an appropriate kind of source for relief for students. So what is the response from the city council? The city council did not want to use city funding for the rental assistance program. But again, mind you, we did not ask for a rental assistance program. That is not what we, that's, they, they decided to initiate this rental assistance program after much pressure from residents to address issues around rent. And, but the city does not want to spend city funding on the matter. And so that's why the, they opted for the CARES Act funding rather than pulling from the rainy day fund. But, but a, a couple of important things to point out, right? The city could have also considered reallocating a portion of the 42% of the city's $214 million budget that's currently allocated toward public safety, toward resources such as housing, right? That actually keep people safe. And that can, could ensure again that our undocumented community also has access to these funds. But again, the city chose not to do that. There are a number of stipulations as well on this rental assistance program that are of much, much concern and clearly does not go far enough. And then now, yeah, I don't know if you want to say anything about the rental assistance program. I don't have anything else to, to add. For those of you who've just tuned in, you're listening to Ask a Leader Becomes Ask a Neighbor. And my guests for the full hour are Nalia Rodriguez and Courtney Eccles, both organizers with UCI for COLA, COLA for all, and as it, COLA is known, it's shorthand for cost of living adjustment. And we're talking about both the housing on campus, where the University of California system has jurisdiction, and the housing off campus that students have been residing in, where there is either relief sought from some municipal funds or a forgiveness from the landlord, the Irvine company. I know the, the makeup of this council over the decades now. I know what kind of culture wars have opened up over the years. And I, I sort of know what motivates the ones that are in office at this time. And I'm wondering, both Nalia and Courtney, if it's an intangible good, but do you mention in your discussions with the city that the city cleans up big time with the, the available labor pool, the enterprises that are happening on a UC campus in their city. Uh, we most certainly have. Uh, brought How do you do that? We've brought it up in public comments. We've brought it up in our email campaigns to city council members. We've attempted to bring it up in our public comments that haven't been read aloud during city council meetings. But 
Melissa Fox on city council has also brought these issues up and even then is still not given any weight. Well, she's not, she doesn't have a very large coalition and it's, it's a, it's shakier because of um, even the partisan divide isn't all that you know, reliable for her to have her agenda be successful on that city council. But um, I just didn't know. Yeah, I, I, I also, mean, I also want to point out too, um, that regardless of the, the, the makeup, right? We, we, for the first few months of our mobilization around city council, city council members, again, regardless of, of, of their sort of background or, or their stance, were giving us the runaround, right? Um, they, uh, they frequently alleged that they were working with the UCI to address students' concerns. Since we started, we started mobilizing within the city council space after COVID. Um, and then in that, city council members frequently gave us the runaround for the first few months. Again, for example, they alleged that they were working with UCI to address students' concerns. I've yet to know of a student that knows anything about this. They also claimed that there was a relief fund as well as some sort of grievance procedure. And no one knows anything about this, um, uh, or about uh, either one of those. Considered on a, a campus? grievance fund or a procedure yeah. or I'm just trying to figure out the runaround exactly. we no, can't no, run us around that is the that is the runaround that yeah. is we don't know we don't know what they were referring to in terms of a grievance procedure we just know that that's what they they were telling us and right and they were telling us this on their social media so it's there for everyone else to see but but we have no idea what they were referring to and we still we still don't know um but that's exactly what I, what I mean by they were giving us the runaround right for for the first few months um and then even still when we mobilize in that space, they continue to suppress us and undoubtedly violate the Brown Act, which governs um, these meetings, right? So for example, they limit our public comments to 500 characters, which, which as, as I'm sure you know, is, is the equivalent of like two tweets. Um, they deem our comments, for example- Not words, but characters, seriously? Characters, characters that's correct, characters. Wow. Um, they deem, then they'll deem our comments as ir irrelevant, right? Despite being explicitly related to the agenda item on which they were placed. Then other times they'll refuse to even read this 500 character comment, instead summarizing our comments into their own words, and then in that misconstruing our message. Then they accept emails as public comments, yet when we tried to use that avenue to submit public comments, our emails were not read. And then they've done, they've done other things, right? We know that the mayor frequently deletes um, student residents' comments on our public social media. And then, for example, just a few meetings ago, they were going through and reading everyone's comments, but then were skipping the comments that were in opposition of the agenda item that they were attempting to pass. Curating. I mean, and so, so, again, they, they not only attempt to suppress our message, but they, they find new ways, new and increased ways to try to suppress our message. But this is really indicative of the fact that the city council is not for the people, right? They continue to invest in profit over the people. And so what this really tells us, though, is that they find value in suppressing our message because they think it's important that our message does not get out there, which is further indication that our message is important to get out there, right? Um, and so, yeah. so I just think it's important to uplift that as well. So I want to find out what kinds of activities are going on. I, everybody can open up on your website, UCI for COLA. Talk about how maybe some of the upcoming events people could participate in. And uh, I don't know if the donation drive and the way you're trying to help people that are feeling enormous economic pressure right now if those kinds of drives are continuing and some other things yeah no, one way for folks to continue to get involved is through our mutual aid campaign we are still accepting donations both food donations and monetary donations the mutual aid work helps to not only provide food and uh, other monetary assistance to folks, it also we've also been doing face mask donations. Additionally, there will be a food mutual aid drive next week. Uh, Courtney, do you have the details on that? I think. Sure. So we are actually changing up the location this time. We um, so we have our food and supply drives every two weeks. Yes. Um, on Fridays, and so um, we have one a week from today. And this time we are moving it to faculty housing. So 
one of our principles with the mutual aid campaign, right, is redistributing the wealth. And so as Nalia briefly mentioned, through our uh, donations drive, we've redistributed, I believe at this point, it's about $12,000 in funds to those in our community who are in need. And then again, we have our uh, next, it's going to be our eighth food drive, July 17th, um, okay. from 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. And where will that be? going to be in University Hills um, in the parking lot at the Montessori School Russell Place. Okay. So um, donations of food and supplies are welcome all day long and then folks can swing by after 4 p.m. to pick up groceries. However, they do not need to come to us if they are unable. If it's if they can't, that's okay. We also do deliveries um, and so we have a mutual aid form that's on our website and we just ask that folks fill that out and then we will deliver the groceries and supplies to your front door. I'm sure it begs a question from listeners too that everything you're transacting here is going to be upholding all of the best public health measures in the pandemic. Yes, absolutely. We take a number of safety precautions and we also have safety precautions posted on our website for best sort of practices and protocols for food and supply redistribution. Okay. So we absolutely do do that. Thank you. Very good point. That goes right into the podcast summary, the the website, so people know. So 8 8 a.m. to 6 p.m., July 17th, and it can be, it's twice a month or is it every two weeks? How how does that work? Every two two weeks, every other Friday. Okay, so the 17th and then the 31st and then the 14th of August and so it goes. So are there any other kinds of events that bring more people in to want to help students out? Uh, yeah, of course. So in addition, that's our just our mutual aid um, campaign. We also have a number of other campaigns, obviously housing, which we've been talking about significantly. And we have our housing meetings for the summer. We've moved them to every two weeks. When's the next one, Courtney? And all of this information is posted on our website. And we also okay. have a form on our website where people can sign up for our mailing list and they'll get all this information right into their inbox. But we also, um, another sort of campaign of ours is Strike University, which um, yes. launched in spring, the beginning of spring quarter. And Strike University is really the people's university, right? It's intended to provide free and accessible um, public education to everyone in the, the in the centers, right? Critical thinking, um, communities of care and shared struggle, brilliance without experts, and then also really um, mm. decolonization, social transformation, and then prioritizing the needs and lived experiences of Indigenous and Black individuals, as well as other POC, LGBTQ+, and our dimly abled community. I um, mean, so we, we have those teach-ins daily, and not just teach-ins, um, there's all kinds of events, um, reading groups, there are teach-ins, but there's social gatherings, all kinds of events that, that happen through Strike University. And these are all virtual, Courtney? That's correct. All virtual. Okay. Um, and anyone is welcome to plug in and anyone's welcome to facilitate an event um, if they would like as well. And that information as well is um, available on our website. I want to finish really quickly. We have one additional campaign, I believe. We are launching a more concerted effort to get cops off campus. As mentioned before, cops off campus has been a demand of ours since we launched and in solidarity with UCI Black Student Union and the United Students Against Sweatshops. And so we are planning tentatively to have a UC-wide strategizing meeting in the coming weeks. So be on the lookout for that. And that's open to the public? Yeah, so that is open UCI affiliated. It's not open to the police, to administration, or to media. (laughs) Oh, I got to hang up now. (laughs) So tell me then about the voters registration campaign next. Yeah, we definitely don't have a voters registration campaign. We do advocate for uh, continued political participation via city council meetings. I think it's important to continue to remain politically engaged at the local level where we can have significant impact. But also I think uh, it's important to remind folks that can vote that at the local level that we need to actually vote for a mayor. Um, The mayor that we currently have in place was not elected by the residents of Irvine. Um, And so 
Well, she was an, a council member and appointed when the vacancy was created when Don Wagner moved to the, the County Board of Supervisors. Correct. And then there was an appointed city council member who was elected by nobody, but then will be on the general election ballot in November, since there are no municipal races in the primaries, except for the board of supervisors this time. Right. So we encourage all of those who do vote um, to vote out Mayor Shea. But um, I think it's also important to uplift that the liberation of all people is not going to come through um, electoral politics, but that does not mean that that's not one strategy, one tool in our toolbox. So again, we do encourage folks who do vote to vote out Mayor Shea, most certainly. Just being a student and a resident at Irvine in on-campus property, it was shocking to see in my first couple years the voter suppression that happens on on-campus housing voting sites was honestly shocking. I worked as a poll worker and a poll inspector in the past. It was fun sometimes. And I've done it in different cities. And voting in Orange County, I feel like is something that, I don't know, I, I think most Californians don't realize how much voter suppression there is, um, especially in Orange County, including in campus properties, just like part of what makes it more difficult right now is one, COVID safety measures, but two, even before COVID, even just thinking about what had changed in voting practices on campus, for this year before COVID, they removed the uh, voting site that was in graduate housing to one that is farther away up the hill in University Hills. The community center. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and so what is there? Right. Yeah. So what does it mean when even our voting centers are being far more removed in a place where it's already inaccessible to walk mm -hmm. or use public transportation? And even more so now, right, that we're in COVID times. Mm -hmm. Everybody got a vote by mail ballot, though, right? Everybody got that in their box. I, I do. Um, so it, that, it, I mean, it was like a whole restructuring. I just want to piggyback off what Nalia was saying to say, too, that um, that we certainly don't encourage folks not to vote, but we... That's how many negatives? <laughs> <laughs> um, but, 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 um, but we are, do not have any plans as of yet anyway to launch any sort of voter, get out the vote sort of campaign. We just keep in mind that, again, voting is, is not a cure-all, so to speak, right? That it's one tool in a, in a much larger toolbox. And, and then especially given all the people who cannot vote, and then among those who can vote, the voter suppression that happens. Um, and so we certainly encourage folks to, to make their voices heard however they feel best that they can go about doing that. And, and then again, we encourage folks who do vote to vote out Mayor Shea. I certainly will be doing that. And Nadia, are you registered here then? You were saying you're, you're in Long Beach now, which is part of what happened to COVID. People went to other homes. And I guess you're the poster woman for the displacement of COVID and what we can rely on is going to be the voter turnout in any given precinct. So you're registered here and are you going to vote here? I was. I am currently registered in the city of Irvine. I'm not sure if I'm going to re-register or when I'm going to re-register for the Long Beach residents because I, I foresee myself not moving back to Irvine. So. so so you are like the poster student that we've been wondering, like what will happen with this, this sh shook up the container and scattered everybody. And now where do they all, where does everybody land? So that's, yeah, and so you that's, know, you're the one. And, and something that I think is also important to note is that part of my reasoning for leaving Irvine is the police surveillance that I was experiencing as a student organizer. It's pretty uncomfortable to be followed while I'm walking my dog at various times of the day by police officers in both uniform and out of uniform. It's really uncomfortable to see the police officers in patrol cars and transportation vehicles from UCI property just patrolling in the parking lot right by the window of my bedroom, right? That's really uncomfortable. Um, wow. Knowing that police officers are tracking my cell phone, as we've been told by faculty on campus, right? So 
it's important to see like how these different aspects of what we're fighting for with UCF or COLA intertwine and how students are experiencing it in different ways. Also too, the police surveillance of our movement, they brought in police to every um, action that we've had. Police will be present at events that were not made public, at events and locations that we only discussed a matter of hours beforehand with just- And they showed up? That's correct. And so we know that this surveillance is happening. And we also know, too, that UCI administration is telling folks that they are doing UCI for COLA organizers a favor by bringing in undercover cops. And so we know that this police surveillance is happening. And as Nalia was pointing out, it's important to speak on. Now, that's important. I'm glad we have a chance to bring that up. Going back to the student conduct charges, we also recently learned that, as recently as last month, students are being issued discipline through the Student Conduct Board for how the university perceives their parenting that occurs within UCI housing. And so again, when we say the police must be abolished, it's not just the police in and of themselves, though of course that's a key component, but it's also the abolition of policing and so forth. That would also mean in this case, right, the abolition of the student conduct board, right? That also brings us to the student conduct charges that were brought against both me and then also importantly against the students over at UC Santa Cruz. As we briefly touched on, at the end of June, UC Irvine filed student conduct charges against me um, for the February 20th action, choosing to, right, criminalize instead of addressing the very real needs that, that led us to these actions to begin with. But as was the case at UC Santa Cruz, and as mentioned earlier, right, these student conduct charges are an attempt to suppress free speech, right, by cultivating a climate of fear and intimidation, right? And then it's sickly ironic in light of the fact that UCI's chancellor, Howard Gilman, has studied and published about free speech on college campuses. So once those charges were filed, right, our community showed up and showed out, and I am so, so, so grateful and so appreciative. And within 48 hours, UCI dropped the charges. But we know that this is the result of people power. And again, so appreciative of the support. But the fight obviously continues, right? We still have a lot of work to do. So for example, UCI must still address USAS and BSU's demands that came out of that action, including, again, releasing Trish Harding's body camera footage, um, providing psychological services and financial compensation for the Black alumna who was violently assaulted and arrested by UCIPD. And then again, we still need to get cops off campus. But also, too, it's no coincidence that the UC drops the charges against me as a white organizer while they suspend Carlos for two years over at UC Santa Cruz, a first-generation PhD student of color who engaged in very similar actions to demand economic and racial justice, right? And Carlos was not only targeted and surveilled by police at the picket lines, but the university also, again, filed student conduct charges against him for things such as appearing, quote, aggressive or intimidating, right? And then they fired Carlos from his position as a teaching assistant. And again, he was hit with a two-year suspension um, or one-year suspension conditional on good behavior. Carlos was told he could get that generous one-year discount by conducting various gestures, such as interviews with people who were impacted by the strike. And then the, the administration then offered to put him in touch with the police in case Carlos wanted to interview the police officers, the very police officers who we now know were the ones filing the student conduct charges against Carlos. And again, he is the only student to have been suspended by the university while the UC simultaneously dropped the charges against me as a white organizer who engaged in similar actions. And so again, these conduct charges are at their core racist. And also too, the National Lawyers Guild has released a statement declaring that these proceedings are illegal. So these charges are, and disciplinary actions are fundamentally racist and the UC must rescind these disciplinary actions against him. And so it's just make sure that we uplift that. Ladies, I really thank you so much for giving us your time today. Thank you so much. We, we are so appreciative. Yes, thank you, Claudia, so much for your time. My guests were UCI graduate students and organizers with UCI for COLA, Nalia Rodriguez and Courtney Eccles. Thank you again for your time today and be safe in all your actions. And I've got a few announcements. Tonight's the vote before Irvine City Council pertaining to community choice energy 
Details are at climateactioncampaign.org forward slash Irvine underscore CCE underscore yes. Census is still happening. Be counted, folks. My2020census.gov. Well, that was my wrap. Next week, Dr. Bill Hudigman has lots of healthcare policy to get off his chest as we go into political convention season in the middle of a pandemic. Talk with you next week. Thank you for listening, everyone. Please, oh, please, mask up. <laughs>